Once again, we come before you in prayer, and Lord, we are thankful for the grand old hymns of the faith that we can sing, and Lord, that we can sing them in praise to you, for you are the living Savior. Lord, we ask now that you would take each part of this service, the remaining hymns to be sung, the special this morning, that each part would prepare our hearts for the preaching. Lord, I pray the preaching this morning would be simple and clear and and we'd be able to understand what you want to do in our lives and how your word must shape our lives each and every day. We ask you to do work in our lives that we may be your servants this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be dismissed. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And and this is Father's Day. And so for the introduction to my sermon this morning, I'd like to use the story uh, of the prodigal son. And that is found in Luke chapter 15. Uh, a little later, we'll get to uh, the main text uh, of the sermon this morning. And uh, I will challenge you uh, that you need to... Uh, make up your mind right now to pay very close attention or I'm going to lose you when we go to the text. Uh, because we uh, oftentimes we've uh, tried to illustrate the point that the Bible is its own commentary. And that's uh, what we're going to try, to, what I'm going to try to do in the sermon this morning. But um, So, please just follow as closely as you can. We'll start in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. It says, And he, Jesus, and he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he fain would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, 
and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came in, as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto them, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatty calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost and is found. This is a story that we call the prodigal son. And uh, we spend a lot of time as we go through this story about the prodigal son and all of the things that he did. But this morning I'd, I'd like for us to look at the father of the prodigal son. As by way of introduction in, into the actual sermon that we're looking at this morning... I want us to understand some things. You see, it's his Father's Day, and and I, I will tell you that the pillar of our society is the Father. It is what has made America great, and when America ceases to be great, which is a question that needs to be asked, it will be because there are are no longer the fathers standing up in the homes in this country, being the men that God intended them to be. And so the first point that I would like to bring out about the father of the prodigal son was, as a father, he had already ordered his house and set the direction that his house would go in. And of course, it wasn't just his mere whim or fancy. This is... Jesus is speaking about a Jewish father who had spent time in this book called the Bible, who had ordered his household according to the precepts of God. You know, there's one thing that that fathers have to do if you're going to, to be a godly father. You have to find out what the Bible says. And you have to find out how to put those things in order in your house. And and this man had done that. And you say, well, how do we know that he did that? Well, the younger son that we spend so much time talking about, he had in his heart and in his plan some ideas to do some things that he knew the father wouldn't approve of. So how did he go about doing that? He went into a far country. He went into a people of a different language, a different uh, uh, base, a, a different culture, a different understanding, because he knew 
that if he went anywhere that his father was known, that somebody's going to be pointing the fingers at him and saying, aren't you so-and-so's son? What business do you have acting like this? Don't you know you're shaming your father? And so we see that he, in order to do the things that he wanted to do, he had to go far, far, far away. Now, one of the things that people question about this story is the dividing unto the sons of his living. (coughs) It was a tradition uh, set out in the Word of God that the eldest son was to stay at home and to be primarily responsible for the parents and to take care of them. And because of that, he would receive a double portion of the family goods so that he would have the wherewithal to take care of his parents in their old age. And that was part of his responsibility. And so as the man divided to his sons the living... The, it, it, he had two sons. Two-thirds would have stayed there, would have gone to the elder son. And one-third went to the younger son. And it says, not many days after, he gathered all. Now, as we go through the story, we find out that the elder son complains that his father had never even given him a baby goat to have a party with his friends. You see, he didn't understand something. That when the father divided unto them his living, that everything belonged to the oldest. He already had it. He refused to use it. The younger son, he didn't have that problem. He grabbed everything, he turned it into cash... And he spent it. I'll tell you, this city that we live in is full of broken lives. Of young men and women who have tried to live the life of the prodigal son. You can't can't afford New York City. I don't care how much money you have. You can't afford what sin will do to you. But this young man... He tried. You see, the father was not, and we we got to get at this, the father was not being permissive. In fact, the father was not moving one bit. It was the younger son who was doing the moving. You say, but he... He gave him his goods, and so he could do that. He empowered him to, to, to do. He just gave him what was already his. And he went out into a far country, far away from his father, because he knew one thing, this younger son that his father would not allow that kind of living in his home. That's the job of a father, is to set some boundaries. 
I've often liked to put it this way. My father taught me the meaning of two words. He taught me the meaning of the word no. You know, a lot of people grow up and they just don't know the meaning of that word. And that's why we have so much trouble with some of our young people when a police officer says, stop. They don't understand it. When they say, put the gun down, you can't do that. And they do it anyway. And they get shot and they get killed. It's because no one taught that young person the meaning of the word no. That's dad's job. Because dad is the only one in the house strong enough to teach the meaning of the word no. Somebody said, you don't know my mother. Wait a minute. I know about boys. They learn the meaning of the word no from their father. He taught me the meaning of the word no. And then, if you just take the word no and put a W on the end, you get the word now. I'll tell you what, if you, if you understand those two words, you got a better education than most public colleges give today. How many would say amen to that? I mean, if you just know the un, uh, and understand the word no and the word now... And that was dad's job to teach those things. And, and, and this young man knew the meaning of those words. He also knew in his heart that he wasn't going to do it. And so he left home and he went far away. And he wasted it on riotous living. And in verse 17, it says, And when he came to... Himself. Can I tell you that sin does not make sense? That sin defies all reason and all knowledge. Somebody said, there's nothing wiser about Budweiser. He said, it's all stupid. And uh, I would tend to agree with that statement. I don't know anyone that's done something smart because they're under the influence of alcohol. But how many people have done wicked and life-changing and altering things because they just had one or two drinks with their friends? Or because... They're just going to have a little smoke at the party. Just want a little fun. Let me tell you, sin doesn't make sense. You have to be crazy if you stop and think about it. Young ladies, when you give up your purity... You lose everything there. 
And you can't get it back. For what? Somebody that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Marriage makes sense. In fact, it makes so much sense that even the sodomites want it. But I'll tell you what, they can't get it. I don't care what the laws say. God says, it's one man and one woman. And it's marriage between them two for as long as they both shall live. You can't improve on God's laws. You can't improve. And so, this younger son goes out and he tries sin in every form. And he runs out of money and it says that he fain would have filled himself, his belly with the husk that the swine eat. You know, I saw an advertisement said the pig is the most wonderful animal on earth. Because you can take it and fill it full of trash and get wonderful protein that will nourish your body. I mean, pigs will eat what humans can't and won't and shouldn't. And uh, I'm just glad I'm a Gentile. Because there are very few things that aren't better with bacon. Amen? In fact, I had a donut with bacon on it a while back. Oh, was that good. Listen. How many of you have ever actually seen a pig eat? Don't get your hand in there. Because you'll just end up missing a couple of fingers and the pig's going to keep eating. Uh, he, he was thinking about it. That's what the word fain means. He would have done it, but he couldn't. Because it was a time of hunger, and even the pigs were hungry. And finally, he wakes up one day, and you could just see this stinking young man. Because you don't spend time with the pigs without smelling like one. And he finally wakes up, and he said, The servants in my father's house have food to eat and plenty left over. And here I am, one of his sons, starving in a field full of pigs. And you have to remember, this was a Jewish young man. Can't get any worse than the pig. Just can't do it. And he wakes up. And he starts thinking about his father. And he says, this is how I'll get into good graces with my father again. He says, I'll admit that I've sinned. That I've offended his God. And I've offended him. And and I'll humble myself. and, And I'll tell him, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. And maybe dad will let me live in the house again as a servant. And so he prepared his speech. And you can see him dusting off his rags. 
and maybe stopping at a stream and trying to wash himself so he wouldn't be quite so bad. But you need soap. If you don't have food, you don't have soap. Uh, You need new clothes to put on. If you don't have food, you don't have new clothes to put on. So here he comes the best that he can. I wish you could get this picture in your head. As this gaunt young man is walking the lane that he knows so well. And down in the distance, it says a great way off, there was a bustle in the house. As things were falling off the tables, as the old man stood up and began to run. Have you ever seen an old man try to run? It's a pitiful sight. And he's staggering and running and out of breath and his white hair is flying and... And he grabs a hold of this filthy, stinking little boy and he kisses him. And you see the son pushing him away. Dad, I, I got to talk to you. I got to get this off. He said, I've sinned in the sight of God and in your sight no more worthy to be called thy son. And, and look in your Bible here this morning, if you would. Just look at the words. But the father said to his servants, you know what? The father never uttered another word to the younger son. You see, the father knew something. The younger son had come home. You know what that meant? That meant he was going to live by the rules and at the direction of the father. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come home. You see, he was one of those mean fathers that when he said something, it actually meant something. He knew the meaning of the words that his father had taught him. And he knew that if he was going to live in dad's house, it was going to be dad's rules. So when dad started talking, what did he do? He shut up. He started saying, yes, Dad. Do you think that he wanted to wear the best robe in the house? No. He did not want to be a public example after where he'd been doing what he had done. And everybody knew. There's a ring. That tells us that the father was a very rich man. Often a ring was a symbol of a family tree. It it told people who you were and about you. Well, he had pawned that off a long time ago to buy food before he went to the pig pen. He said, put shoes on his feet. By the way, do you take the best clothes and shoes and put them on a dirty, filthy man? No. I wonder if one of the old servants was there that had told him, don't you do this, was there, says, come with me, we're going to scrub you up. 
We're going to get the scrub brush first. Outside with the hose. Then we'll take you inside and then we'll give you another one. And get you clean. So that you can be presentable. You know, I, I love what the Bible says. If you're going to come to Jesus, you've got to come just the way you are. But He loves you so much, He's not going to let you stay that way. He's going to clean you up. He's going to put His ring. He's going to put His mark of ownership on you. He's not going to just give you clothes to cover your nakedness. He's going to cover you with His own righteousness. And He's going to bring you into the house where you don't belong. Not as a servant, but as a son. You see... The younger son had nothing to say except this. Dad had mercy on me. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is our text this morning. Verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What I want to challenge you to think about is that the father here in the story of the prodigal son is one of the best and most excellent illustrations of what being merciful is in the Bible. We think the word mercy means permissiveness. Have mercy on me. Don't make me pay that parking ticket, judge. That's not mercy. That's permissiveness. Often the judge will tell you, if you've ever been to parking court, give me a reason and I'll reduce the fare. Give me a reason and I'll take the ticket away. I remember one time I had one onerous one that I was trying to get rid of. And I went before the judge and he said, that's not a very good reason. And I gave him another one. And I had it all ready. And he said, that's not a good reason. I said, finally, I said, well, they filled out the ticket wrong. It's the wrong type of registration on the vehicle. He said, that's a good reason. Ticket dismissed. Okay. You saved the best one for last, right? Listen. Mercy. Let me read you the definition. Now, by the way, this is not out of a Bible commentary. This is out of the Oxford English Dictionary. Forbearance and compassion shown by one person to another who is in his power and who has no claim to receive kindness. Let me read that again. Forbearance and compassion shown by one person to another who is in his power and who has no claim to receive kindness. Do you get that? Mercy 
is forbearance. Mercy is compassion that's shown to a person that is in your power and deserves no kindness and no forbearance. You know the reason we don't have mercy in our world today is because we have no one in our world today willing to take power and willing to claim the victory. Dad, it is your job to take the power over your house. It is your job to have the victory over your kids. You're smarter than they are, you're older than they are, and for at least a little time, you're stronger than they are. That changes after a while. Guess what? You better get it taken care of before it changes. When Joey says, can I arm wrestle you, Dad? Yes. No problem. Stephen says, can I arm wrestle you, Dad? No. Under no circumstances. Because I'm not losing. So we're just not going there, right? But by the time they get that age, they shouldn't want to beat you at arm wrestling. Can we say amen to that? It's not a contest. It's understanding that you're in charge. That's what the father of the prodigal did, was it not? And when the son finally came to himself, he came back to the father and he said, I've lost it, life. I've lost it, everything. And the father could have said, you're not worthy to be my son. I'll make you a servant. Could, was that not within his rights? He could have said, you get out of this house. Everything that you had coming to you, you've lost. You go somewhere else. Was that not within his rights to do so? In fact, what did the law of God say that you did with the son who refused to be obedient to the law and those things? He was to be punished, executed actually. But you see, God is a God of mercy. And therefore, Jesus tells this story of the merciful Father who showed mercy on His Son and welcomed Him back into the home as a son under conditions. He had to live the way the Father dictated. Oh, but pastor, that's a hard word, dictate. I mean, it's the root of the word dictator. No, it just means that when you say yes, it means yes. When you say no, it means no. Uh, it does not, there, you know, it's not up for negotiations. Living in the Father's house was not something that they worked out. 
the son already knew the rules. And when he submitted to them, it opened the door to receive the father's mercy. Can we depart from our story for a minute? Does this sound like how a person gets saved? Hello? How many of us left the Father's house of our own free will and sold ourselves in the slave market of sin to do what we wanted to do and try to fulfill our desires? And finally, we woke up out of the stupor of stupidness and said, God's way is right. And we came back to the Father. And he said, you're not a servant. He said, you're my son. Jesus come and put his arm around us and said, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. I'll tell you what, you don't wear rags in heaven, my friend. Jesus is not going to let us wear the sin-stained garments of sin in his house. Because that would be an insult to the King and the goodness of our Lord and Savior. That's why when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He paid for every sin that was ever sinned. And when we come to him, we are made the righteousness of God in him. That's why Titus said, not according to works which we have done, but according to his what? Mercy. He has saved us. You see, you can't be merciful until there's a victor and a loser. You cannot receive mercy until you've lost. And you throw yourself at the feet of the Savior. Then you receive mercy and He saves your soul. How many could say, Amen, that happened in my life? What's the application? Well, if you're going to be merciful, that means you've got to win the battle. You know why we have so much problem in our world today? It's because... When is the last time somebody actually won a war? I may even remember what uh, read in the history books what they did at the end of World War II. What did they say? The only terms that we will accept is unconditional surrender. They won a war. And I've often used this example. The greatest example in modern history of the word mercy is what happened in the country of Japan at the end of World War II. General MacArthur understood that it was not a defeat of the military might, but it was a defeat of the people and the spiritual leadership of those people. He made the emperor go on the radio and tell the people of Japan that he was only a man and he was not a god. And he was never to be worshipped again. 
And this is not in your history books, but General MacArthur sent back to the United States and he said, send me a thousand missionaries for the people of Japan want the God of America that defeated them. And we sent him a hundred businessmen instead. And we sent him a hundred architects instead. Let me tell you, Dad, if you're going to be a father, you've got to win the battle of wills with your children. Then you can show mercy. Until there's a winner and a loser, mercy doesn't work. How many of you remember being afraid of surrendering your life completely to Jesus because you didn't know what he would do with it? Remember that? And when you finally surrendered, you found out that life was finally worth living and that the greatest blessings that you could have was putting yourself at the mercy of the Savior. Uh, we have some teenagers in here today, some young people. Our youngest people are in the children's church in the nurseries. Teenagers, let me tell you something. If you want to find out what life is about and enjoy life, surrender to the will of your father. But father, you have a responsibility to make sure that you have a will that's worth surrendering to. Amen. You see, when you show mercy to an undefeated foe, you're admitting that you can't beat them. And if you want the answer to ISIS and the Islamic problem in our world today, that's it right there. is we have this corrupt, demonic idea that mercy is being nice. No, mercy is forbearance and compassion to those that you have in your power and who don't deserve it. This would solve the problem in our prisons. You see... Most of the people that are there, even though they're there. Has anybody met a guilty person on Rikers Island? They're not there. Every once in a while you run into one and say, well, yeah, I did some bad things. Is that really an understanding of guilt? I don't think so. If you want mercy, you've got to win the battle. There's got to be a defined winner, a defined loser. And when we show mercy, think we're showing mercy to try to be nice to somebody. We're only reinforcing them in their rebellion and in their sin against God. 
That's what's happened to a whole generation. To a point now that where someone stands up and says, this is what truth is going is, and we're not going to vary from it, you're an ogre. You're, you're the problem in our world today. No, that's the solution. Amen? You see, in order to be merciful, you've got to win the battle first. Now, how do I do that? Are you still Matthew chapter 5? Let's start. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you own a kingdom, does that sound like you've won the battle? Hello? Are you with me? If you own the kingdom, if the kingdom is yours, have you won the battle against the enemy? Yes, you have. But how do you do that? Poor in spirit. You see, the prodigal son finally realized he was poor in spirit when he was thinking about eating the pig's food. How many of you remember when you finally realized you couldn't save yourself? And you had no hope of eternal life. You had no hope of anything good in this life. And you finally came to the Father and said, I don't have the ability to do anything. That's what poor in spirit is. What's the next one? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, we live in a world where no one is ashamed of their wickedness today. What was the, the person that murdered that uh, uh, House of Commons uh, elected representative in England? They find, just murdered him in public. They were caught. They were witnesses there. They take him into the courtroom and the person said, blah, 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 defiant is what the news article said. That's the world in which we live today. Nobody's sorry about anything. You know why we should mourn for our sin? Because it sent Jesus to the cross. There is no sin that you can sin that somebody else isn't going to pay the price for that sin. I don't care what it is. You say, all I want to do is be able to drive the way I want. Well, what happens to the person you run off the road? You say, well, this is, this, is, this is what makes me happy. Well, what about the person that has to lose their self-respect to make you happy? Do I need to get any more detailed than that? Let me tell you, we've got to understand that the reason God calls sin, sin, is because it brings death, not only to you, but to people around you. We live in a society that is so sick 
that they think marijuana actually helps. How can you get any sicker than that? Fifty years ago, we knew what marijuana did. Introduced you to more and more powerful drugs. That's all it is. You see, you're never going to be meek until you mourn. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Does that sound like you won the battle? How about it? You own the kingdom. You inherited the earth. Meekness is operating under the authority and at the direction of another. But you're never going to do it until you stop acting under your own authority and your own direction. You're never going to do it and trust God completely until you realize how foolish and how evil and how rotten your life really is on your terms. And you surrender to God and start living it His way. See, then what's the next step? Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You see, we're not even smart enough to want the right things. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, You know not how to pray as you ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. One of the most perverted verses in all the Bible, Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What that verse is talking about is learning to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and God will fill that need. But what are you really hungry for today? Money, power, peace and quiet, just something like this. All I want to do is be satisfied. Yeah, you and Mick Jagger make good friends, right? Not going to happen. Because the only satisfaction in this life is surrendering your life to Lord Jesus Christ. You see, then you're equipped to win the battle. And when you win it, then you can show mercy. That's why we never get there. That's why we get offended. You know, the Bible gives you no right to be offended. It gives you directions to obey. There's a difference. See, you can't win the conflict until you get your eyes off the conflict and get them on Jesus Christ. Completely. You can't beat the world. Only Jesus can. You can't even beat yourself. I mean, we can ask the question, how many of you did something that you wish you hadn't done this past week? Every hand goes up, if you're honest 
you can't control yourself, how do you expect to win the battle with someone else or something else? Uh, well, let's go back to poor in spirit, because it's not about me. It's all about God. Let's go back to mourning, because it's God who is offended, not me. Let's go back to operating under God's direction. Because it's God's opinion that counts and not mine. How about letting Him reshape the desires of my heart so that I will now hunger and thirst after righteousness because God knows what's best for me. Could we say amen to that? And then you're going to be equipped to stand strong enough that no matter what they throw at you, you're still going to be standing right where you were. Not because of you, but because of God. Then, and only then, can you show mercy. You know what the greatest way you can show mercy is? Open this book and show somebody how to be saved. Introduce them to God's mercy. You don't know what they've done to me. Uh, I'm not worried about that. Because if you'll start out with poor in spirit, you're not worried about that either. Because you're more concerned with the wrong you've done to God than you are the wrong that anybody else has done to you. Amen. You see, that's how we let go of all these things. Those are the battles that need to be won. The father of the prodigal won the battle, didn't he? With the younger son. You see, Jesus was illustrating in that story... The love that God had for the Jewish world, the older son, and the Gentile world, the younger son. Because God's the father of us all. And he was trying to get the Jewish people to understand that all the blessings and promises of God have been yours before you were even a people. All you have to do is live in the father's house. But you've got to understand something. The same Father that loves the Jew loves the Gentile. And they're both going to live in the same house. And until we get there, we've got this thing called the church where we all live together at the mercy of our Savior. And it's our job to take that mercy into the world in which we live. But I promise you, you can't do it if you're fighting the world. Because you're going to lose. See, Jesus has already fought the world and won. Are we getting this? See, if you're going to be merciful... 
You've got to be standing with Jesus. So that the battle is already won. The world is already ours. And people who don't deserve it, just like we didn't deserve it, can be shown the mercy of God. Dad, that's the way the house has to be run. That's not a pleasant thought. Because that's a lot of work. In fact, if I could challenge you this way, if that's the only thing you ever accomplished in your life was that, the Bible would call you a great success. Do we say amen to that? It's work giving your entire life for. I wish I had a dollar for everyone who would say, what do you do with 12 when one drives me crazy? Well, that's because the battle's already been won. It was won before the kids were born. Because we got this book called the Bible and set things up before the children were born. They don't earn their parents' love. But if they're going to enjoy it, they're going to have to listen to a few things. Amen? Do I get an amen from my kids? The ones that are up here? Because I'm not smart enough or good enough, or strong enough to determine everything in their lives. But I know a God that is. And if I'll surrender to Him, that's half the battle of them surrendering to Him. See, that's what being a father is. That's why the father of the prodigal, he won the battle, did he not? It took a little while. But the father never changed. He never backed up. He never surrendered. Kept doing what the Bible said was right. That's the answer. That's the answer in your life. It's the answer in mine. Well, what if the world doesn't want the mercy? Then they don't get it. And when they don't get it, they'll stand before God without it and will be eternally lost. That's why we have to get serious about being merciful. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today and Lord... I certainly doubt anyone came in expecting to hear a message like this on Father's Day, yet this is the message I believe that you've had me bring forth from your Word. And Lord, I would ask that you would work in each heart, in each life here, that we would understand what mercy really is, and that you would give us grace to exercise it 
that you would help us to start at the beginning and build, be built by the Holy Spirit of God to that point to where we can express mercy toward others. Lord, we ask you to be with those that may be with us this morning who do not know Jesus as their Savior. That today would be the day that they would surrender in salvation to your salvation that you give. We ask for your direction and your blessing in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes to lead the hymn of invitation, if you need to come and pray, let's stand together.